Attempt blocked by McNabb. To the right circle, a try. Kick save Hill. Rebound, another try save Hill. A third try save. And the rebound to the right corner. Nobody is ever satisfied with one. So we're back for a second hour of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Blob boots it ahead, sticks it left. Barbashev in. Back to the right, a shot. Score! Marcia so. 19 seconds in. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studio and live at LVSportsNetwork.com, here is Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two of the VGK Insider Show rolling along here on a Monday. The VGK Insider Show is brought to you by the Dollar Loan Center, where your first loan is on us. Apply for free at don'tbebroke.com to get up to $5,000. In hour number two, we are going to get into one-timers, news and notes from around the National Hockey League. We're going to dig into fighting in one-timers, Matt Rempe making uh, kind of a name for himself because of the fighting. We'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. Uh, we'll also touch on Elias Pettersson, where contract negotiations are between the Star Center and the Vancouver Canucks, and maybe Jordan Cairo as well. So quite a bit to get to in one-timers news and notes from around the National Hockey League. But right now, we're going to dig into the Vegas Golden Knights a little bit deeper. Obviously, this is a team that is embarking on a five-game road trip that kicked off Saturday night in Ottawa against the Senators, and it it debuted, at least to start the game, the line of Brendan Brisson, William Carlson, and Jonathan Marcheseau. Um, Chapman, what? it felt weird typing that out. Like, I'm not going to lie. And, and, and specifically when Bruce Cassidy made the switch to that combination on Thursday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I, I remember sending out a post that had 1971-81, and for a moment... I forgot where I was because that's a combination that a lot of Golden Knights fans saw immediately and felt a kin a kinship with because that used to be the top line for the Golden Knights. Riley Smith, William Carlson, Jonathan Marcheseau, the misfit line back together. together. What did you think of Brendan Brisson? Well, I mean, it's, it's a tall ask to, to have a kid jump up and try to play on the first line. But if there's anyone who can get him the puck in the right spot to, to put shots on net, it's William Carlson, who is one of the best distributors of the puck on the team. So I think I understand what Cassidy's thinking and his mindset is there. We want to we want to get this kid going. Um, you know, we, we, we know he's got a great one-timer. We know he's got a great shot. So we want to put him in a position where he's going to succeed. I think with a young kid like Brendan, you you want him playing with, with – top talent, because it's going to bring out the best in him, you would hope. But in the, in the same sense, you also want to put him in position to succeed. And, you know, I don't know if you put him in position to succeed with a lot of other guys that he could be out there with. So um, it, it was a little strange to see 1971-81. Um, mm. You know, I mean, for, for six years, we knew we knew what that meant. And now it's kind of taken on a new meaning, and hopefully it's one that could develop into uh, a, a, a top line for the Golden Knights. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, right? Because with Brendan Brisson, what you're looking for from him 
aside from his improved play on the wall and, you know, more compete in terms of back checks, reloads in the neutral zone, and just being harder on pucks is what you're looking for from Brendan Brisson is to find the soft area of the ice, right? Like that is what you need Brisson to do in the offensive zone. And then you're putting the onus on Carlson and Marcia. So to get them the puck in dangerous spots, because if you're looking at Brisson's game right now, the NHL-ready aspect of his game is his shot. He can beat goalies clean in the National Hockey League. He can. And so right now, what you're hoping for is that chemistry builds with those three players specifically and that you have more opportunities for Brisson in dangerous areas of the ice. If that's happening, then that line is starting to gel. And I thought that they played a really strong game on Saturday night for the Golden Knights. Well, I think the other the other side of this is... If there's a defensively responsible forward, you want Brendan Brisson to play with, because I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm clearly not an NHL coach, but I mean, I don't think it takes a lot of a lot of mind or a lot of a lot a lot of ability to understand the game to know that mm-hmm. defensively you develop slower than you do offensively, and uh, you know that's a, that's an area of Brendan Brisson's game where he's going to need to get better the defensive side of things, and who better to put him out there with? To, to be able to make up for some of that lack of defensive skill than William Carlson, who is the most defensively responsible center on the team with Mark Stone out of the lineup. Two-goal game for Chandler Stevenson. Um, you know, it's interesting because you think about the plays that didn't go for the Golden Knights. Obviously, there was the stretch pass from Alex Petrangelo to Sheldon Rempel, who had a great chance um, on a breakaway, unable to to solve Anton Forsberg. And then obviously Chandler Stevenson late in the game as well had an opportunity with a breakaway, couldn't solve Forsberg there. Um, what did you make of Chandler's game and really his game over the last couple in in response to not having Mark Stone in the lineup? Well, he he's a guy who you would want to step up in that situation, and it seems the last couple games, he's been a guy who's found himself on the score sheet. Um, I would say the first half of the season, probably not up to Chandler's standards. And, you know, the, there, there's there's the aspect of this. That, look, this is a guy who's playing for his next contract. And right. at some point, you want him to be the Chandler Stevenson he was last season. He hasn't been that guy yet. He can still turn into that guy. He can still be that guy. But I think Chandler is a guy who who – we know he he holds himself in, in high regard. He's worked his way up to being one of the top players on this team. And I I think what you've seen from him without Mark Stone is what you would want from a guy who, who you would look to as one of the leaders on this team and a guy who's got two Stanley Cups, and that's that's stepping up in the absence of, of your captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think you can still get more out of Chandler. Obviously, you're going to take the goals. You're going to take the production, specifically in getting a point, and, and and that's great. But I still think that there's room for Chandler to take over games. Like, individually, skill-wise, he's one of the most talented players on this team. Like, he, he's, he, he can do things at speed with his hands that not a lot of players can do. And when he's got an extra step... Uh, in his in his in his game, then all of a sudden things open up for him. So, uh, as as much as you're going to take the production and you will all day long, I think you need to see Chandler kind of dominate games a little bit more. He has the ability to do it, and it's right there for him. He's just got to kind of lock in a, a little bit more. Um, 
six on five goal for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, that is not something that we've seen regularly this season. Obviously, it comes at a, at a big point, but that kind of leads into a bigger question. For the Golden Knights, they had a two-goal lead in this game. It was 2 nothing early on in the second period. And, and so often with Vegas, we become accustomed to a two-goal lead is two points in the bank. And I recognize it's not the same makeup with this team right now, given all of the injuries. So you can look at it as if the Golden Knights let a point slip away, or you can look at the fact that they scored a six-on-five goal. They battled in the third period to find that next goal. They didn't give up very much in the third period to kind of put themselves behind the eight ball so far that they couldn't come back in that game. Do you view it as they gave up a point, or do you view it as they secured a point, they rescued a point in that game? Well, I guess it really depends on on how you you look at it. Um, is it successful going to Ottawa and coming away with a point, or is it considered a failure when you go to Ottawa and only come away with a point? I think it's the fifth time that they've been up two goals and have lost the game this season. So from that aspect, it's it's disappointing. But I will point out that I thought Anton, Anton Forsberg played an incredible game. Like he was really he was really good, good for yeah, for the good. Senators. And it would be disingenuous to say that that the Golden Knights should have just rolled over this team because they're scrappy and their goalie played a really good game. So hold, you, hold you, on, hold pause pause on that for a moment. Going into the game, they were 10-4 and 3 in their last 17 games. Like yeah. the Ottawa Senators have been playing significantly better under Jacques Martin over the last 12 to 15 games. It was not an easy type of game for the Golden Knights. It really wasn't. No, no, and 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 Ottawa, Ottawa has, you know, I think we we expected them to take a step forward at mm-hmm. the beginning of the season. They started really slow, and they had kind of a goofy schedule. They didn't play a ton of games early, and they they just fell behind. And they've been playing sure. catch up all season. And when you look up in the standings, and you see that the the next team ahead of you is eight points or whatever, and you've played three three less games or four less games in them. It could be a little discouraging knowing that you're going to be playing catch-up. But this team, as you mentioned, the last you know month of the season, they've been playing some really good hockey. And it, it's a tip of the cap to, to them. And, and I think, like I said, it'd be disingenuous if you, if you said that they didn't play a good game because I thought the Senators, they fell behind. They never panicked. Their goalie stepped up and made some really big saves. Um, I think, who was it, Rempel had, had an opportunity at really close – Range. A couple of really good ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and Forsberg was really good. So you got to give credit where it's due. Um, it's a team that maybe when you look at them on the schedule, you're like, oh, Ottawa, we've won nine straight against them. We should just come in mm-hmm. here and and blow the doors off of them. We beat them. Look, the last game they played them wasn't wasn't an easy win for it the wasn't Golden easy. Knights either. It, and and that's the thing. The Ottawa Senators recently have been the team we expected them to be out of the gate. Good. They have been good. 7-3-1 and one in their last 11 games. Like, the Ottawa Senators are playing really well, and they caught the Golden Knights at the right time, and it was not going to be easy. I spent the majority of the pregame show highlighting that it was not going to be the type of game you expected it to be. It wasn't an easy victory for the Golden Knights because the Ottawa Senators have been playing better, and they, they lived up to that billing. They really did battle back. They were structured. They didn't give up a lot defensively, and it was a really tough game for the Vegas Golden Knights. So with that said, Chapman, Let's get into it. Let's get into the game ratings. To alcohol, 
the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. All right, where are you going? Well, I'm going to go with a tequila. Um, I, I do think Ottawa played a really good game, but the Golden Knights were up two to nothing in that game, and mm-hmm. they did need a six on five goal to to secure a point. I'll be honest, Ryan, when they pulled the goalie and they went six on five, I just assumed they weren't going to get a point. Of and, course you did. And I don't know if that's me being pessimistic or just me being realistic. That's one, it's 100% you being the voice of the fans. So, I, I cannot tell you, Chapman, I cannot tell you how many messages I got <laughs> when I said Logan Thompson to the bench for the extra attacker that were just conceding the victory. Conceding yeah. it well, completely. I, I, I don't think this team ever concedes a victory, but well, I, they don't. No, no, but the fans do, and, and yes. I did. So I, I will own you that. You are the voice of the fans. Yeah, well, and, and look, when I'm wrong, I'll own it. And I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I said, though, I it's disappointing to be up two to nothing, regardless of who you're playing, regardless of where you're playing, and lose a game. Um, I think there is a consolation that you do get the point, but I wanted the road trip to start out with two points because I felt it was imperative with these next two road games coming up, Toronto and then Boston, very, very tough places to walk away with points. So it's disappointing to me that they only got one point, but I'm satisfied with the one point. So it's 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 right in the middle for me. It's a tequila. Would you be at all shocked if the Golden Knights go into Toronto tomorrow and win? Yes, I would be. Really? Yes. Why? A Toronto's playing really good hockey right now. Um, they just okay. they just defeated the Avalanche. They've won what seven straight. Um, Vegas beat the Avalanche at one. Yeah, at one point yeah, this but year. that was like, a fully healthy Golden Knights team that beat the Avalanche. Well, not fully, but very healthy Golden Knights team. I just, I just right now, I'm I'm having a hard time envisioning this team going into Toronto and walking away with two points. Just because the trajectories are very different, and I understand that the Maple here's, Leafs, the Maple Leafs may the overlook thing. the Golden Knights because they just beat them a couple nights ago. Mm-hmm. You know they're coming mm-hmm. home, they're feeling confident, but I just, I just need to see more offensively out of this team right now. And I think, I think, I would be surprised if they walked away with two points tomorrow night. Here's, here's the, here's the funny thing about this road trip, Chapman. Like I could legitimately see them winning the next two games. I can. Like yeah, I mean, you have Boston the earlier hardest, in the year. you have the hardest two teams coming up in in Toronto and and Boston. Like when you look at this road trip, those are the teams that you're worried about. They, they just are. No disrespect to Buffalo. No disrespect to Columbus. In in a way, no disrespect to to Ottawa. Like you are worried about Toronto and Boston. And with this Golden Knights team, it would not shock me at all if they're able to find two wins over those two teams. Because there's something about those big-time matchups that just gets them going. And you're hopeful that that's the case. Now, as for my game rating, I'm going right in the middle as well, Tequila. Again, I think Shea Theodore has really found his rhythm. You have Brendan Brisson playing with Carlson and Marcheseau. I want to see Brisson on the top unit power play. I want to see Brisson and Theodore do some damage. 
I want to see those two guys work off of one another. I want to see Theodore feed Brisson for a one-timer, and I think that that's an area where the Golden Knights can buy themselves another goal or two over the course of this road trip. If you get Brendan Brisson a one-timer working on the first unit with Shea Theodore. Uh, but overall, I like the fact that they were harder on pucks. They were certainly harder to play against, uh, against Ottawa than they were Toronto. And I think if they bring that same type of mentality to the game tomorrow night, against the Maple Leafs, it will not be anywhere close to a 7-3 drubbing like we saw on Thursday. So I'm encouraged by what we saw out of the Golden Knights on Saturday. Not a perfect game, not a perfect result by any stretch, but there were building blocks there for this team. Now, having said all that, I do want to get to Bruce Cassidy, his audio earlier today. A couple of things that he said really stood out to me. Pay particular attention to when Bruce feels or felt the hangover really did hit the Golden Knights. Here's Bruce Cassidy. What are you stressing with your group as you look to get things uh, rolling on the results side moving forward here? Uh, we've got to defend better, um, certainly than if you use the Toronto game as an example. We weren't anywhere near good enough in that area. Better against Ottawa. Um, so that's an area of the game that just has to be good for us. Our, our, our D are healthy. We've got six healthy D. Our goalies are healthy. So that's the healthiest part of our lineup, and we need to make sure that we're dialed in that area to it is kind of our identity anyway we have to get back to that so we have enough still enough forwards in lineup that can help us offensively um so that's what we're focused on toronto has split nylander and tavares try to create three scoring lines what sort of challenge does that present you guys well i mean we were able to do it last year and i, th I think it can get to teams um eventually you'll get a I don't know if mismatch is the right word, but you should get an advantage um, if you're able to consistently do it. And I think that helped us a lot late in the year and in the playoffs when we were fully healthy. So I like that thinking myself. I don't know. Yeah, the players have to be on board. There's a little bit of that that people forget sometimes that the individual has to be willing to maybe sacrifice for the good of the team when you do that, right? Maybe your individual numbers aren't as good, but they're better balanced. So, um, so I think it's going to help Toronto, and looks like it has recently, but um, see over time. If you're putting a guy who's not used to being top six onto a third line um, for the good of the team, like how do those conversations go? How delicate do you have to be? As a You'd coach? be surprised just writing the, 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 the lines on the board and all of a sudden he's on the third. You know what I mean? It, it's a mindset. Well, wait a minute. I'm on the third line. I'm not a – because there's those terminology, top six. Maybe people should start calling it a top nine and <laughs> take some of that away because that's what a lot of good teams have now. It used to be top six, third line of a matchup and then fourth line energy, toughness, whatever. Now I think there's a lot of teams that can roll three lines and it should be a top nine and then kind of that, that grittier line. But um, Toronto has the ability to do it. I mean, with, with their talent, so do we when we're healthy. So I would never call William Carlson a third line center in this league, but he's a luxury to play against the other team's third line center. Hill gets uh, pulled in that game against the Leafs. So, based on your time around him, like, how has he responded? What's he? Been like? Oh, he'll be fine. I mean, I rarely pull the goalies. Um, probably once a year, each guy, on average. So it just happened to be a night where I felt, you know, we weren't playing well. So it's a message to the group. And and Logan had come off a shutout against San Jose. So. Um, we knew that each play a game, we picked Logan for Ottawa and Hilly for Toronto, and uh, we just made a decision based a little bit on performance, a little bit about getting our team's attention. And uh, at the end of the day, we didn't respond well enough in front of Logan either, so I wouldn't put it on Hilly. It was just our, our team performance. How close is Jack, and how do you think the team's managed the 
without such a key piece? Uh, Jack is skating on his own, so I don't have a timeline for you exactly. Um, when he's with our group, we can better answer that. So he's not playing tomorrow. Um, and I don't know if he'll make an appearance in this trip. I haven't been told yes or no um, in terms of him being in the lineup. The, the impact has, has been all over because he was playing on the penalty kill, playing a lot of minutes with William Carlson. He's on our top power play group. Now Nick Waugh went in and played great in his spot in five-on-five offense, so we got good results from Nick. But then that takes away from our fourth-line identity, moving Nick up there, so we lose a little bit in that end. But listen, anybody that loses or one of their top guys, they're going to feel it. Um, how much you feel it kind of depends on, okay, how are you going to handle it as a group? And, it can, you know, can you keep winning hockey games without people? And that's what we're tasked with now. So I don't have a great answer for you right now on that. I think we've held our own at times. Other times it looked like we could use Jack in there. Listen, speed through the neutral zone. He backs people off. He's a strong guy. It's hard to get the puck from, so he's a puck possession guy. Great defensive player. People don't realize how good he is in our system. So we miss that as well in, in the defensive zone. What are the benefits of facing Toronto again so soon? Well, for a coach, you have less work to do because you just saw them. So that's one thing that's your pre-scout is fresh in your mind. Um, the benefit is we didn't play well, and I think our guys are a proud group and competitive group, and they'll want to put their best foot forward. We've seen uh, more teams go with three goalies <clears throat> up on the roster. I know you've had that situation here in Vegas. Like, What's the biggest challenge for, for a coach with with that sort of setup? Well, it's getting the appropriate amount of starts for everybody, right? Because, you know, you just feel like you're, you're, there's not enough to go around. Uh, practice, who gets the net? Uh, how, do you, who, how do you split the other net? Uh, that's a goalie co- coach is probably challenged more than the head guy because he's kind of monitoring that. But I, I would say just keeping them sharp is, is the, you know, usually the toughest thing when you have three. When uh, Stone was out last year, I know the power play kind of struggled. Yep. What, what's your message to those guys now in this situation? Well, we're trying to dummy it down. We're just converging on the net, playing kind of a downhill approach. Um, you know, years ago when I was in Boston, the Leafs had Marner and Matthews just come kind of downhill and sling it to the net, and Kadri and Tavares were there to, you know, so it was a, you know, a pretty effective power play. Now they have a little more move. I think Toronto's grown their power play where they're moving to different spots, but we have to be kind of consistent in our approach like they were back then in terms of how we're going to, we might be predictable. And that can hurt you in terms of the other team knowing what you're doing, right? They can kill easier, but by the same token, if we know what we're doing and we're consistently doing it, I think we'll end up getting a decent result. So until guys get more comfortable with one another. So you took Jack off of it and that moved Marshy to the other side, and now you're taking Stoney off it, so you've got a different guy in the bumper and down low. So there's been some adjustments. And Theo's back on it, right? He missed three months of it, and he's very good at the top. Mobile makes those kind of seam passes that a lot of guys um, can't just because they don't have that vision so it's nice to have him back so losing jack hurts and stoney but at least we got the, the guy at top that uh can run it for us big picture how how difficult has it been to keep your group engaged in the regular season knowing that ultimately what you want to do is is repeat? well you know it, it, it's funny they say that the hangover we didn't have it in october i think it hit us in january and february so maybe that's the learning curve we're going through the hangover comes later in the dog days um and, and now, with guys out, the good thing about having guys out is the urgency should be there for the rest of the group. Like, listen, we got to get in. We're not automatic, you know, and you never are in this league if, you know, you have a bad couple of weeks and anything can happen. So for us, we're not talking about that, but we do know that it's in front of us that it's harder to win now without your top guys. It just is. I mean, they're, they're, 
guys that make plays that make a difference. So you got to be buttoned up because you, as a team, we could still play very well and not get points, you know, because those guys didn't make the, the extra play that they're typically due for you. So I think any team that's missing top guys will go through some of that. So you got to be, you can't give any, I guess the messaging now is we can't give points away by not being prepared to play. And I think that's what happened the last 10 minutes of the first period against Toronto. I actually liked our start. I thought we were pretty good the first seven, eight minutes, but then it kind of came unglued. So there's Bruce Cassidy earlier today uh, after morning skate with the assembled media in Toronto. Um, A couple of things that stood out to me is the idea that when talking about Jack Eichel and, and the job that Nick Waugh did filling in for Eichel when he played 12, 13, 14 games in a row with Barbashev and Marcheseau, uh, Bruce made comment that that hampers the identity of the fourth line. And when you hear that, it gives you, I think, a little bit of insight into where Bruce is leaning when everyone's healthy. When everyone's healthy, if everyone gets healthy, all that, you have all four of your centers available. It sounds to me like Nick was right back to your fourth line with Colasar and Carrier because identity for that fourth line is incredibly important and it helped this team win a Stanley Cup. At least that's my read on it. Chapman, you have a, a different read on it? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately right now you only have two-thirds of those guys out there on the ice, so I, sure. think, yep. I think breaking them up is probably the best thing to do. Um, so until you have William Carrier back, I, I think we're going to see Nick Waugh continue to play up and down the lineup. But once he's back and you've got a fully healthy William Carrier out there with Keegan Colasar, I think Nick Waugh slots right back to that fourth line center and you, 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 you roll with that because that's been successful in the past. It's been consistently good over the last couple of seasons, even before Bruce got here. So I think, I think that's where you look to when, when you get William Carrier back. I mean, William Carrier, it seems like it's been forever since he's been in the lineup. Like, I feel like he got injured right around the same time as Shea. And I think he's desperately missed. Like, we talk about missing Eichel and Stone and, and Dorofeyev, but I think it's it's hard to not look at the absence of William Carrier and think that that's having a negative effect on the lineup because it forces you to break up one of the best lines, if not the best fourth line in hockey. Mm-hmm. And then the other aspect from Bruce that I thought was incredibly interesting is is the idea that the hangover didn't hit them, obviously, in October or November, that that came in January, February. I, I even kind of make the argument that, that maybe a little bit at the end of December. But, you know, the fact of the matter is it, it hit Vegas later. And you can go through the early parts of the season and, and thank goodness for the Golden Knights getting as many points as they did in October and November, banking those points as early on as, as possible because you know you're going to go through it. You know you're going to have down down periods of, of play, and you know the hangovers hit them now. And, and the idea that you've got to recognize you're not automatic, meaning you're not an automatic lock for the playoffs, until you've got that X by your name, you're not in. And I think for the Golden Knights, it's a good moment for Bruce to kind of mention that to kind of lock everybody back in, recognizing that they are dealing with something every single defending Stanley Cup champion has dealt with since trying to go back-to-back. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that he brought up when, like, it's in the dog days. And the most important thing that you touched on there is you don't give those points back that you get early in the season. They count just as much as the points do 
that you get at the end of the season. And I think it shows how important it was for this team to come out and, and play at such a high level, despite the quote-unquote hangover that was supposed to transpire. Um, look, I mean, the reality is this team probably is not in the position they are in today where I feel like they're comfortably in the playoffs regardless of, of what other teams do down the stretch. If they come out playing 500 hockey at the start of the season, I think I think we're maybe having a different conversation today. It, it feels more dire, for sure, and, and that's really – what I wanted to hit on, you, you don't have a, they didn't have a hangover to start the year. They were exceptional. They were phenomenal. They banked a ton of points. And because of the work they did early on, it, it's giving them more runway here to find their game. And that's incredibly important as we get into the stretch run. Just 24 games left for the Vegas Golden Knights this season. We're going to take a break. Come back with one-timers next on the VGK Insider Show. Carlson left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for one-timers. one-timers. A quick look at news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. One-timers, news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. Some interesting stuff coming out today in the National Hockey League. Rick Dollywall of the Donnie and Dolly show in Vancouver has updated his thoughts, opinions on the Elias Pettersson negotiations. Dollywall says the Canucks aren't getting any indication from Pettersson that he wants to be there long term. There's frustration there. I have no intel he wants out. Up until now, I always thought Pettersson would re-sign but I'm not so sure now. So, Chapman, could you imagine a world in which you're a player like Elias Pettersson, you're a competitor, you want to win, you are viewing this team come alive before you, you are one of the most, if not the most important players in terms of, of this franchise's trajectory, and you're just not sure this is where you want to be, what kind of ripple effect would it send through the league and obviously through the Vancouver Canucks if Elias Pettersson does not want to be a Canuck long-term? Well, I think what it says to me is a lot of teams may have missed the boat a couple of years ago when they could have offer-sheeted him, um, mm -hmm. and nobody chose to do that. But he's still an RFA at the end of this contract, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me that he's still... Maybe we need to talk about the fact that this guy is heading into the peak of his career and he's still an RFA at the end of the contract. Maybe that's yeah. something that, that should be discussed as well. But well, the Canucks, look, if, if I'm him, the Canucks had the opportunity in 2021 to sign me long term. Mm -hmm. And it was a bridge deal that paid me $7.3 million a year. I think mm -hmm. my value is is much, much higher than that. Yep. And look, if if I'm him... I'm going to explore every single option. The problem is I don't know who is willing to sign him to an offer sheet. I mean, look, there's a lot of teams that should. I, I don't I don't think you're going to see anything like that. What I think you're going to see is him demand the trade. A, a an understanding. Right? Like if you're the Vancouver Canucks, if you're Jim Rutherford, you you look at what you've built. You want Pedersen there long term. If he doesn't want to be there long term, You've got to do something similar to what the Calgary Flames did with Matthew Kachuk. 
And, and like, listen, I know that I've been hard on Jonathan Huberdeau, and, and rightfully so. But the fact of the matter is, if you are Vancouver in this spot, you can't go another year or two on a bridge deal with Pedersen. What you need to do is sort this out. You've got to find out what he wants to do, and then you've got to protect yourselves as best you can. If Elias Pedersen does not want to go long-term in Vancouver, you are never going to get better value back for him than right now. As you mentioned, he's an an RFA right now. You've got an opportunity to get him in his prime. Who knows what the Vancouver Canucks are going to do in the postseason. He might be coming off a great year individually and postseason success. That's when you strike if you're Vancouver, and I just don't think you can let this drag on if Pedersen's non-committal on his future with you as a hockey club. Well, he's 25, and I think if you're him or if you're Jim Rutherford, I, I, I think mm-hmm. clearly you feel you have a core of players that are capable of taking the Canucks to high, higher things, maybe winning that first Stanley Cup in, in franchise history. You, yeah. you, you you maybe have the well you have the goalie in place you've got a core defenseman you've got a terrific core of forwards I want him there and I want to do whatever it has whatever has to be done to keep him there I mean this is this is a situation that it seemed like we were in the exact same scenario a couple years ago and you and I were, were I remember having the conversation with you on the show if I'm the golden Knights I offer sheet him this was, of yep. course, before you traded for Jack Eichel and you, you got that franchise player. But I would love to see a scenario where someone offer sheets him and the Canucks are forced to match it. I just I don't I, think that's happening. I don't think it's going to happen I, I just, either, which is which is sad because it, it really shows that that I'm going to take the agent well, side of it here. It, it kind of shows no, that no, the no, system no, no. broken a little bit. I don't, I don't think it happens because I think Pedersen wants to have say in where he goes. Well, there's no guarantee. So, like, let's just say, for instance, he gets offer sheeted. There's no guarantee that the team that sends him the offer sheet is a destination he wants, wants to, to go, go to. That's understandable. That's understandable. And I think I think if, if he doesn't want to be in Vancouver, a team that's on the rise right now, a team that is, is moving in the right direction, then you have to think that there are other factors at play specifically i want to be in a certain place yeah so like if 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 you're looking at it and you want to be in i don't know say la or new york and columbus comes and offer sheets you're not going to sign it i mean we've seen this play out with pierre luc dubois where he's kind of forced his hand in a couple different places and i honestly don't don't think it's worked out well for him um, he's been well, traded a couple times. He's not having a great season in Los Angeles where he should be having a great year, but that's listen, another, he, that's another he topic. Has been, he has been better since teaming up with Quinton Byfield. So, and, well, there you go. how much of that is due to Quinton Byfield? I, I'm, I present that to you without judgment. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you it's because of Quinton Byfield. Okay. The fact that I'm like, hey, Pierre-Luc Dubois is turning <laughs> things around because he's paired up with Quinton Byfield is me subtly saying, Hey, look at that Quentin Byfield. Well, I'll, He's a I, won't, I won't subtly say it. I'll say it. Quentin Byfield's carrying yeah. the lunch for Pierre. He's a fixer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's a fixer. Okay. So from Elias Pettersson to <laughs> Jordan Cairo. Well, I um, like this. I like this. Jeremy Rutherford of the uh, of the Athletic uh, reported that there's a fifty, and I don't like 
it's a weird number to put on it, I suppose. Uh, but it's it's a 50-50 chance that the Blues would trade Jordan Cairo before his no-trade clause kicks in in July 2025. As we all know, Cairo is in the first year of an eight-year, $65 million contract extension with the Blues. It was obvious that in, in, in moving on from Alex Petrangelo, moving on from Ryan O'Reilly, the, the keys were being handed over in St. Louis to Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. And it's been a down year in terms of production for Cairo, 19 goals, 45 points in 57 games. Like, I don't think this is something the Blues should do. Jordan Cairo is an absolute burner. He can move, he can score. I think there's like a maturity thing that needs to be sorted out for him. Obviously, didn't see eye-to-eye with Craig Berube, but he's a really good player. I understand wanting to move him before that no-trade clause kicks in because if you're going to move on from the player, it makes it infinitely easier to make that trade. But I just don't see this as the way for St. Louis. What do you say? Yeah, I, I don't see that as a move as well. Like, I mean, certainly he's a guy I want to build my franchise around. Uh, but... I will say this, if there are two places I could see a team making a move, maybe not right now at the tr- if the trade deadline, but in the offseason, I'm going to start with a team in the Pacific Division, the Seattle Kraken. They have some money coming off the books in Alexander Wenberg and Jordan Eberle. You need someone to help Matty Beniers, who has had an unbelievably disappointing season, get going. You look at the top line that they would have of Jared McCann, Matty Beniers, and Jordan Cairo. I'd put that top line out there with almost anyone in the league because you know what they're best. That's a really, really dangerous line. Uh, the other place I'd look at, maybe the Detroit Red Wings, right? You're, you're, you're probably going to lose Patrick Kane in, in the offseason. You have a slot there with Dylan Larkin and Alex Dabrinkit, maybe, potentially. Hold on. Why why do you think you're going to lose Patrick Kane in the offseason? Well, because he's only signed for, what, the, the rest of the season, right? And I think... Well, I, yeah, I, but I'm... I also I, think, I think if, if the Red Wings, if the Red Wings, maybe start to, I mean, I think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think if it starts to look that maybe they won't, maybe that's a guy you move. I get the sense that the Red Wings are banking on making. The I playoffs. think I think they're solidly in because I don't think the Devils are going to catch them, or the Islanders for that, or the Capitals. Well, no. The do you think Patrick Waugh's worked out for the Islanders? No. Let me ask you a different question. Do you feel like the Islanders had a better chance of making the playoffs if they didn't make a move? With Lane Lane Lambert? Yep. Yep. I think they're probably exactly where they are today. So then it's construction. I I, I don't think they're a great team. So that's the thing, right? Like, you have these these moves in, in which you get rid of your coach, right? In which you move on from a coach. And... The argument that you're making then as a general manager is that it isn't construction, it's the coach, right? It's it's the coach doesn't know how to maximize the roster. The roster's good enough, it's the coach. I don't know how you look at this any other way. If you are Lou Lamarillo, your team is not good enough. Yeah. The I construction mean- is not good enough. You have two coaches, Lane Lambert, Patrick Waugh, and the results have somehow gotten worse. With Patrick Waugh, it's it's construction. It's roster construction all day long. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. I just I, I just look at them and I'm like, 
they don't have anything that really jumps out at me. Like, I like Matthew Barzal. I mean, he's a great player. Uh, obviously, um, you know, the, they, they've got Bo Horvat, another really good player. But you kind of look at their roster, and you're like, eh, Kyle Palmieri, meh. J.G. Pajot, eh. Anders Lee, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. getting up there. Their bottom six is not very good. I mean, I I just don't think they're a very good team. I mean, I, I look around and I'm like, they've got a good goalie. But other sure. than that, they don't have any superstars. I mean, and I and I certainly would not call Varlamov a superstar. I mean, he's he's a really they're, good really good goalie, but he's not a superstar. Yeah, I, I would agree, but you know, as as is as tends to happen on the show, we, we are talking about an, uh, a, a team in the Islanders, and they are up currently right now one nothing on the Dallas Stars at the end of the first. <laughs> those, are <laughs> those are your one timers for those are your one timers for today, Monday, February twenty sixth. Catching up with Chapman is next. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for catching up with Chapman. All right, Ryan will want to wish the happiest of birthdays to soccer legend Kaz Miura. The Japanese legend turns 57 today and, believe it or not, is still playing professional soccer. He plays in the second division in Portugal at 57 years old. He's the oldest player in history to score a professional goal. It's amazing. 57. The guy's still playing professional sports. Like, I don't care what division you're playing in. To be that age and playing professionally, it's pretty incredible. Began his career in 1986 in Brazil. 19, wow. you, you weren't even alive. Well, I was I was born that year. So. Okay, so, I mean, yeah. he's been playing as long as you've been alive. What, what do you think you could do at a high level at 57? Sleep. Is that it? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I I don't know. Like, I've never really thought that far in advance. Like, what am I going to be doing at 57? Hopefully, I'm still productive at 57, but you never know, man. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to really think. There's not a lot. I know that. Oh, boy. Uh, tomorrow, T.I., Golden Circle, come say hello for the VGK pregame show.